Chapter Three of The Quintessence of Ibsenism. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Suman Barua, Toronto, Ontario. The Quintessence of Ibsenism by George Bernard Shaw. Chapter Three The Womanly Woman. Everybody remembers the diary of Marie Bashkatsev. An outline of it, with a running commentary, was given in the Review of Reviews, June 1890, by the editor, Mr. William Stead, a sort of modern Julian the Apostate, who, having gained an immense following by a public service in rendering, which he had to perform a realistic feat of a somewhat scandalous character, entered upon a campaign with the object of establishing the ideal of sexual purity as a condition of public life as he retains his best qualities faith in himself willfulness conscientious unscrupulousness he can always make himself heard prominent among his ideals is an ideal of womanliness in support of that ideal he will like all idealists make and believe any statement however obviously and grotesquely unreal. When he found Marie Bashkirtsev's account of herself utterly incompatible with the account of a woman's mind given to him by his ideal, he was confronted with the dilemma that either Marie was not a woman or else his ideal did not correspond to nature. He actually accepted the former alternative. Of the distinctively womanly, he says, there is in her but little trace she was the very antithesis of a true woman mr stead's next difficulty was that self-control being a leading quality in his ideal could not have been possessed by marie otherwise she would have been more like his ideal nevertheless he had to record that she without any compulsion from circumstances made herself a highly skilled artist by working ten hours a day for six years let anyone who thinks that this is no evidence of self-control just try it for six months mr stead's verdict nevertheless was no self-control however his fundamental quarrel with marie came out in the following lines marie he said was artist musician wit philosopher student anything you like but a natural woman with a heart to love and a soul to find its supreme satisfaction in sacrifice for lover or for child now of all the idealist abominations that make society pestiferous i doubt if there be any so mean as that of forcing self-sacrifice on a woman under pretence that she likes it and if she ventures to contradict the pretense declaring her no true woman in india they carried this piece of idealism to the length of declaring that a wife could not bear to survive her husband but would be prompted by her own faithful loving beautiful nature to offer up her life on the pyre which consumed his dead body the astonishing thing is that women sooner than be branded as unsexed wretches allowed themselves to be stupefied with drink and in that unwomanly condition burnt alive british philistinism put down widow idealizing with the strong hand and sati is abolished in india 
the english form of it still survives and mr stead the rescuer of the children is one of its high priests imagine his feelings on coming across this entry in a woman's diary i love myself all this i swear solemnly by the gospels by the passion of christ by myself that in four years i will be famous the young woman was positively proposing to exercise for her own sake all the powers that were given her in mr stead's opinion solely that she might sacrifice them for her lover or child no wonder he is driven to exclaim again she was very clever no doubt but woman she was not now observe this notable result marie bashkirtseff instead of being a less agreeable person than the ordinary female conformer to the ideal of womanliness was conspicuously the reverse mr stead himself wrote as one infatuated with her mere diary and pleased himself by representing her as a person who fascinated everybody and was a source of delight to all about her by the mere exhilaration and hope-giving atmosphere of her wilfulness the truth is that in real life a self-sacrificing woman or as mr stead would put it a womanly woman is not only taken advantage of but disliked as well for her pains no man pretends that his soul finds its supreme satisfaction in self-sacrifice such an affectation would stamp him as a coward and weakling the manly man is he who takes the bashkirtseff view of himself but men are not the less loved on this account no one ever feels helpless by the side of the self-helper whilst the self-sacrificer is always a drag a responsibility a reproach an everlasting and unnatural trouble with whom no really strong soul can live only those who have helped themselves know how to help others and to respect their right to help themselves although romantic idealists generally insist on self-surrender as an indispensable element in true womanly love its repulsive effect is well known and feared in practice by both sexes the extreme instance is the reckless self-abandonment seen in the infatuation of passionate sexual desire everyone who becomes the object of that infatuation shrinks from it instinctively love loses its charm when it is not free and whether the compulsion is that of custom and law or of infatuation the effect is the same it becomes valueless the desire to give inspires no affection unless there is also the power to withhold and the successful wooer in both sexes alike is the one who can stand out for honourable conditions and failing them go without such conditions are evidently not offered to either sex by the legal marriage of to-day for it is the instant's repugnance inspired by the compulsory character of the legalized conjugal relation that leads first to the idealization of marriage whilst it remains indispensable as a means of perpetuating society then to its modification by divorce and by the abolition of penalties for refusal to comply with judicial orders for restitution of conjugal rights and finally to its disuse and disappearance as the responsibility for the maintenance and education of the rising generation is shifted from the parent to the community footnote 
a dissertation on the anomalies and impossibilities of the marriage law at its present stage would be too far out of the main course of my argument to be introduced in the text above but it may well to point out in passing to those who regard marriage as an inviolable and inviolate institution that necessity has already forced us to tamper with it to such an extent that at this moment the highest court in the kingdom is face to face with a husband and wife the one demanding whether a woman may saddle him with all the responsibilities of a husband and then refuse to live with him and the other asking whether the law allows her husband to commit abduction imprisonment and rape upon her if the court says yes to the husband marriage is made intolerable for men if it says yes to the wife marriage is made intolerable for women and as this exhausts the possible alternatives it is clear that provision must be made for the dissolution of such marriages if the institution is to be maintained at all which it must be until its social function is otherwise provided for marriage is thus by force of circumstances compelled to buy extension of life by extension of divorce much as if a fugitive should try to delay a pursuing wolf by throwing portions of his own heart to it End of footnote. although the growing repugnance to face the church of england marriage service has led many celebrants to omit those passages which frankly explain the object of the institution we are not likely to dispense with legal ties and obligations and trust wholly to the permanence of love until the continuity of society no longer depends on the private nursery love as a practical factor in society is still a mere appetite that higher development of it which ibsen shows us occurring in the case of rebecca west in rosemachon is only known to most of us by the descriptions of great poets who themselves as their biographies prove have often known it not by sustained experience but only by brief glimpses and it is never a first fruit of their love affairs tannhäuser may die in the conviction that one moment of the emotion he felt with saint elizabeth was fuller and happier than all the hours of passion he spent with venus but that does not alter the fact that love began for him with venus and that its earlier tentatives towards the final goal were attended with relapses now tannhäuser's passion for venus is a development of the humdrum fondness of the bourgeois jack for his jill a development at once higher and more dangerous just as idealism is at once higher and more dangerous than philistinism the fondness is the germ of the passion the passion is the germ of the more perfect love when blake told men that through excess they would learn moderation he knew that the way for the present lay through the venusberg and that the race would assuredly not perish there as some individuals have and as the puritan fears we all shall unless we find a way round also he no doubt foresaw the time when our children would be born on the other side of it and so be spared that fiery purgation but the very facts that blake is still commonly regarded as a crazy visionary and that the current criticism of rosemachon entirely fails 
even to notice the evolution of rebecca's passion for rosemary into her love for him much more to credit the moral transfiguration which accompanies it show how absurd it would be to pretend for the sake of edification that the ordinary marriage of to-day is a union between a william blake and a rebecca west or that it would be possible even if it were enlightened policy to deny the satisfaction of the sexual appetite to persons who have not reached that stage an overwhelming majority of such marriages as are not purely the covenants are entered into for the gratification of that appetite either in its crudest form or veiled only by those idealistic illusions which the youthful imagination weaves so wonderfully under the stimulus of desire and which older people indulgently laugh at this being so it is not surprising that our society being directly dominated by men comes to regard woman not as an end in herself like man but solely as a means of ministering to his appetite the ideal wife is one who does everything that the ideal husband likes and nothing else now to treat a person as a means instead of an end is to deny that person's right to live and to be treated as a means to such an end as sexual intercourse with those who deny one's right to live is insufferable to any human being a woman if she dares face the fact that she is being so treated must either loathe herself or else rebel as a rule when circumstances enable her to rebel successfully for instance when the accident of genius enables her to lose her character without losing her employment or cutting herself off from the society she values she does rebel but circumstances seldom do does she then loathe herself by no means she deceives herself in the idealist fashion by denying that the love which her suitor offers her is tainted with sexual appetite at all it is she declares a beautiful disinterested pure sublime devotion to another by which a man's life is exalted and purified and a woman's rendered blessed and of all the cynics the filthiest to her mind is the one who sees in the man making honourable proposals to his future wife nothing but the human male seeking his female the man himself keeps her confirmed in her illusion for the truth is unbearable to him too he wants to form an affectionate tie and not to drive a degrading bargain after all the germ of the highest love is in them both though as yet it is no more than the appetite they are disguising so carefully from themselves consequently every stockbroker who has just brought his business up to marrying point woos in terms of the romantic illusion and it is agreed between the two that their marriage shall realize the romantic ideal then comes the breakdown of the plan the young wife finds that her husband is neglecting her for his business that his interests his activities his whole life except that one part of it to which only a cynic ever referred before her marriage lies away from home and that her business is to sit there and mope until she is wanted then what can she do if she complains he the self-helper can do without her whilst she is dependent on him for her position her livelihood her place in society her home her name her very bread all this is brought home to her by the first burst of displeasure her complaints provoke 
fortunately things do not remain forever at this point perhaps the most wretched in a woman's life the self-respect she has lost as a wife she regains as a mother in which capacity her use and importance to the community compare favourably with those of most men of business she is wanted in the house wanted in the market wanted by the children and now instead of weeping because her husband is away in the city thinking of stocks and shares instead of his ideal woman she would regard his presence in the house all day as an intolerable nuisance and so though she is completely disillusioned on the subject of ideal love yet since it has not turned out so badly after all she countenances the illusion still from the point of view that it is a useful and harmless means of getting boys and girls to marry and settle down and this conviction is the stronger in her because she feels that if she had known as much about marriage the day before her wedding as she did six months after it would have been extremely hard to induce her to get married at all this prosaic solution is satisfactory only within certain limits it depends altogether upon the accident of the woman having some natural vocation for domestic management and the care of children as well as on the husband being fairly good-natured and livable with hence arises the idealist illusion that a vocation for domestic management and the care of children is natural to women and that women who lack them are not women at all but members of the third orbushkertsev sex even if this were true it is obvious that if the bushkertsevs are to be allowed to live they have a right to suitable institutions just as much as men and women but it is not true the domestic career is no more natural to all women than the military career is natural to all men although it may be necessary that every able-bodied woman should be called on to risk her life in childbed just as it may be necessary that every man should be called on to risk his life in the battlefield it is of course quite true that the majority of women are kind to children and prefer their own to other people's but exactly the same thing is true of the majority of men who nevertheless do not consider that their proper sphere is the nursery the case may be illustrated more grotesquely by the fact that the majority of women who have dogs are kind to them and prefer their own dogs to other people's yet it is not proposed that women should restrict their activities to the rearing of puppies if we have come to think that the nursery and the kitchen are the natural sphere of a woman we have done so exactly as english children come to think that a cage is the natural sphere of a parrot because they have never seen one anywhere else no doubt there are philistine parrots who agree with their owners that it is better to be in a cage than out so long as there is plenty of hemp seed and indian corn there there may even be idealist parrots who persuade themselves that the mission of a parrot is to minister to the happiness of a private family by whistling and saying pretty polly and that it is in the sacrifice of its liberty to this altruistic pursuit that a true parrot finds the supreme satisfaction of its soul i will not go so far as to affirm that there are theological parrots who are convinced that imprisonment is the will of god because it is unpleasant 
but i am confident that there are rationalist parrots who can demonstrate that it would be a cruel kindness to let a parrot out to fall a prey to cats or at least to forget its accomplishments and coarsen its naturally delicate fibres in an unprotected struggle for existence still the only parrot a free-souled person can sympathize with is the one that insists on being let out as the first condition of its making itself agreeable a selfish bird you may say one that puts its own gratification before that of the family which is so fond of it before even the greatest happiness of the greatest number one that in aping the independent spirit of a man has unparroted itself and become a creature that has neither the home-loving nature of a bird nor the strength and enterprise of a mastiff all the same you respect that parrot in spite of your conclusive reasoning and if it persists you will have either to let it out or kill it the sum of the matter is that unless a woman repudiates her womanliness her duty to her husband to her children to society to the law and to everyone but herself she cannot emancipate herself but her duty to herself is no duty at all since a debt is cancelled when the debtor and creditor are the same person its payment is simply a fulfilment of the individual will upon which all duty is a restriction founded on the conception of the will as naturally malign and devilish therefore woman has to repudiate duty altogether in that repudiation lies her freedom for it is false to say that woman is now directly the slave of man she is the immediate slave of duty and as man's path to freedom is strewn with the wreckage of the duties and ideals he has trampled on so must hers be she may indeed mask her iconoclasm by proving in rationalist fashion as man has often done for the sake of a quiet life that all these discarded idealist conceptions will be fortified instead of shattered by her emancipation to a person with a turn for logic such proofs are as easy as playing the piano is to paderewski but it will not be true a whole basketful of ideals of the most sacred quality will be smashed by the achievement of equality for women and men those who shrink from such a clatter and breakage may comfort themselves with the reflection that the replacement of the broken goods will be prompt and certain it is always the case of the ideal is dead long live the ideal and the advantage of the work of destruction is that every new ideal is less of an illusion than the one it has supplanted so that the destroyer of ideals though denounced as an enemy of society is in fact sweeping the world clear of lies my digression is now over having traversed my loop as i promised and come back to man's repudiation of duty by way of woman's i may at last proceed to give some more particular account of ibsen's work without further preoccupation with mr clement scott's protest or many others of which it is the type for we now see that the pioneer must necessarily provoke such outcry as he repudiates duties tramples on ideals profanes what was sacred sanctifies what was infamous 
always driving his plough through gardens of pretty weeds in spite of the laws made against trespasses for the protection of the worms which feed on the roots letting in light and air to hasten the putrefaction of decaying matter and everywhere proclaiming that the old beauty is no longer beautiful the new truth is no longer true he can do no less and what more and what else he does it is not given to all of his generation to understand and if any man does not understand and cannot foresee the harvest what can he do but cry out in all sincerity against such destruction until at last we come to know the cry of the blind like any other street cry and to bear with it as an honest cry albeit a false alarm End of chapter 3